Today we're going to be talking with Miss Ariva Martin, who is an author, award-winning civil rights attorney, TV show host, and also a CNN political commentator. Today, Ms. Ariva Martin is talking with us about her new book, Make It Rain, How to Use the Media to Revolutionize Your Business and Brand. Thanks so much for speaking with us today. So glad to be back at Harvard Law School with such inspiring students. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, yeah. We didn't even mention that she actually is a Harvard <laughs> alum. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there. It's important. It's very important. And it's most important because for those of you who don't know, a lot of times you can use your law degree. And we've spoken about this on earlier podcasts to go into different things other than just the private sector or big law. For example, you know, Cam's doing public interest. And here, Ariva Martin is teaching us how to get into the media, talking a little bit more about branding yourself and about using the media to revolutionize your brand. So let's start first and foremost with your time here at Harvard Law School. Tell us a little bit about why you came to law school and did you actually get what you expected out of your law school experience? Well, I ended up at Harvard. It's a funny story. I was a student at the University of Chicago Mm. and there were these guys. uh, They were juniors. I think I was a sophomore. And they were applying to law school and they were really excited and Harvard was one of the schools that they were applying to. And I didn't think very much of these guys. (laughs) They're okay, but they weren't like the big brain people on campus. And they got in. And I was shocked. And I said, you know what? If they can go to Harvard, I know I can go to Harvard. Mm, So it was almost like a dare (laughs) and a challenge because these guys, they didn't know they were motivating me to uh, apply to Harvard because they had gotten in. And actually they then did come and uh, they, maybe we overlap with I overlapped with one of them for a year or so. But that's not, uh, you know, the typical way people end up at Harvard, but it's the way (laughs) I ended up here. Well, you got here, and that's all that matters. Yes. So while you were here, did you always know that you wanted to go into media and um, to be an author and whatnot? Did you already know that you weren't going to go straight into, like, the normal trajectory of big law? No, not at all. My media career came after a very traditional path in the law. I was like most students at Harvard Law School. I wanted to get a job at a big firm. I Mm -hmm. wanted to make a big paycheck. I had serious student loans that I had to pay off. and I. (laughs) didn't come from a wealthy family, so I was on my own, and I was going to be responsible for those loans. So I went to every summer associate job. I worked in New York. I worked in L.A. I worked in St. Louis, which is my hometown. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wanted to land one of those big corporate jobs. And In fact, I thought it would go on to be a partner at a law firm. Mm. So I wanted a very traditional Harvard experience after law school. And I started uh, originally at a corporate law firm after law school. So we heard you talk earlier at Harvard Law School. You were at a lunch talk with uh, Professor David Wilkins um, in the Center on the Legal Profession. Uh, And and during that talk, you mentioned a little bit about your experiences in the corporate realm and also why you chose to leave the corporate realm. Could you tell us more? Yeah, I was excited to be invited to the law school today. I'm on this book tour for my new book, Make It Rain. And I reached out to Professor Wilkins and he says, oh, absolutely, Ariva, I'd love to host you uh, through the Center on the Legal Professions because... That's what we do. We, we bring professionals to talk about different career tracks 
uh, that lawyers have taken that have graduated from the law school. Uh, so we had a talk in Austin Hall, which was amazing. Lots of students as well as uh, professionals from the community as mm-hmm. well, including some Harvard faculty and staff came. Uh, thank you to the Harvard Coop for uh, selling out Make It Rain at the event. <laughs> so I was excited about that. Got my copy. Great, great. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> getting mine. And Bree's getting hers. <laughs> it was sold out. It was sold out, guys. Sold out. <laughs> Wonderful. Everybody that bought a copy, go on Amazon, write me a review. It's so important to how books become bestsellers. and. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to say this book is already uh, number one on Amazon in three different categories. So uh, because of all the love and support, including what I'm getting here at Harvard. But to answer your question about uh, that large law firm that I went to, salary was great, Mm -hmm. big office, every perk you can imagine, happy hour on Friday, lunch in the conference room. And was this in L.A.? This was in L.A. It was a corporate law firm, Wall Street law firm that had a Los Angeles branch. But I did not fit as much as I wanted to. I just, it just wasn't a good fit for me. I wanted to do stuff. I wanted to touch and feel clients. I wanted to feel like this law degree was making a difference. And when you go into a corporate law firm, uh, when I did, you spent as a junior associate most of your time in a library. Now you would be on a computer, but back then it was actually books that we you know, had to use for research. You know, we didn't have, uh, you know, online everything. We did have Lexus and Nexus and Westlaw and those different online services. But essentially, you were writing, you were research, you were the the, the grunt person, which I don't mind grunt. I don't mind hard work and, and doing the grunt work, but I couldn't see how I would ever stop being the grunt person. And I saw people in the firm, they were there five years, seven years, nine years, and they weren't doing that much more than what the junior associates that started out in that class that I started in. So I it was paying the bills. I was paying those student loans. I was meeting my financial obligations, but I wasn't gratified uh, professionally. So the firm was actually having some some transition. They were they were involved in some uh, some kind of lawsuit that involved the firm, not as a, a representative, but actually they were being sued. Mm. So. There was a lot of talk about what it would mean, what the fallout would be, would partners take off, would they take their business. And it just felt like a good time for me to make a transition because there was this internal turmoil happening in the law firm. And my then boyfriend, who's now my husband, who was also a HLS graduate, he had gone to the law school and to the business school. He had a friend in L.A. who had worked at Manat Phelps in their entertainment law practice, and he had left Manat and had gone off on his own and he was working Mm -hmm. by himself as a sole practitioner. He said, you should go talk to my friend because, you know, he left a big firm and maybe he can just share with you what his experience is. Mm -hmm. And I went and talked to my uh, then boyfriend's friend and I just fell in love with everything he told me about what he was doing as a sole practitioner. And I asked him, I said, could I come work for you? And he's like, I don't really have a job, but, uh, <laughs> you know, this is kind of a one-man operation. So I says, okay, well, a different question. Will you teach me what you've learned as a sole practitioner about practicing law? And he says, I'll do that. And we worked out some agreement, and the agreement was I was going to get some percentage of the work that I brought in uh, and a very low salary, and I do mean like, super low because he really didn't have the you know ability to bring me on as a full-time employee. So I had to make a big choice. I had to call my family in St. Louis and say, you know what, that great job 
Mm. All that money, all that prestige, I'm leaving it. Wow. Mm. And I got a lot of pushback mm-hmm. from my family. Are you crazy? How are you going to, you know, support yourself? You're in Los Angeles. It's so expensive. People would die for those jobs. Blah, blah, blah. What if it doesn't work out? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I left. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I went to work in a small office. Bree may recognize this. There was this chain of restaurants in L.A. called The Red Onion. And they were oh, yes. restaurants <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> and nightclubs. And my friend, who became my mentor, was subleasing an office in another person's law, in another law firm mm-hmm. that was over this red on, on Wilshire. Mm-hmm. So uh, would he show me what my office space would be? It was probably about the size of this studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, my big firm office was probably three, four times this size. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, going to work over the Red Onion in this tiny subletted office. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when do I report? Mm. So I would like to contextualize your experiences in, through the lens of a black woman. How was it for you to navigate yourself through the corporate world and then as a solo practitioner in terms of entrepreneurial opportunities and then going forth and becoming an author and a legal analyst on CNN, how was it as a black woman to navigate yourself? Very difficult. Uh, I can remember in the early days of my practice, I often was mistaken for the court reporter. Wow. So I would go to depositions, I would show up at court, and everyone just assumed, uh, you know, I was some... uh, support staff that I was somehow associated with the law firm, but I wasn't the lawyer. So I got a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I started working with my mentor, everyone assumed that we were sleeping together, that I was his girlfriend or his side chick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a lot of that. In the firm, it was very difficult for me because there weren't any African-American partners period, and there definitely weren't any African-American female partners. Mm -hmm. So in terms of having that role model or mentor or someone at the firm that I could really relate to that didn't exist. So the closest thing that I could find was a young white guy who had just made partner. He was a litigation partner. And the thing that we had in common was he hated being a partner. (laughs) He (laughs) loved litigating. He loved trial work. But when you become a partner in a big firm, It's a whole level of responsibility unlike that of being an associate. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden now he had financial, you know, requirements to meet in terms of client development. The clients' cases that he worked on, when they didn't pay their bills, they came to him like John. His name was John. You've got to call your client to collect this money. And John hated every aspect of that. It's administrative work almost. It was administrative, but it, well, it wasn't as much administrative. It was the responsibility now of you are financially vested in this firm in a way that you're not when you're an associate. Right. And an associate, you know, somebody else is responsible for keeping the lights on. When you're a partner, you've got to bring revenue to the firm. And that wasn't, John wasn't comfortable with that. And so we bonded around kind of his griping about the firm. And he agreed to take me under his wings and teach me as much as he could. But the firm structure didn't lend itself to first and second year associates, you know, kind of getting out of step. So he couldn't give me a deposition if there were five year associates who had never had a deposition. Mm-hmm. You know, it, Do you think that your platform um, did it at all help that you were coming from Harvard Law? No. 
And let me disabuse everybody out there that's listening to this podcast. Once you leave Harvard, nobody gives a f- No. You heard it here first. <laughs> I was going to ask it. I was going to ask like, it, so I appreciate Harvard, that. So I, I'm going to try not to go hood on Talk this more. podcast. No, please, no, listen. By all means. Petty politics. No. This, <laughs> Say more, though. Out your bubble. So, you know, we were in the bubble in 2016. We thought, you know, Hillary was going to be president. Right. Yep. Get out your Harvard bubble because you're in one. When you get into the real world, does anybody care where you went to kindergarten? No. Yeah. Nobody will care where you went to law school. It will help you get that job at that big law firm. But when you get to that big law firm, guess what? Everybody went to Harvard. Everybody went to Stanford. Everybody went to Yale. They went to Columbia. They went to the top 10 law schools. You will just be another number at a big law firm. Mm. And when you Y'all get past that, right <laughs> when you get past that big law firm, you will be an unemployed Harvard lawyer, and Ooh. the pressure on you because you went to Harvard. Once you get fired or you you self select yourself out of that law firm, you will have so much pressure on you because everyone will be thinking that because you went to Harvard, you're supposed to do something so magnificent, so magnificent, and so grand. And the reality is. The majority of the people that go to Harvard or any other law school are just trying to survive. Mm. Let's talk a little bit more about your book, because I feel like you've kind of touched on the fact that there were so many things you had to learn about outside of law school through personal relationships and networking, mentorship. And I think especially here, we don't learn anything about the other ways that we can use a law degree outside of specifically litigation, right? You see- Or corporate, transactional. Exactly. You see see law school graduates in every realm, right? Fortune 500 companies, Mm -hmm. uh, nonprofit realm, but they don't really teach us that. And I feel like the book is doing a really great job of helping us to understand mm-hmm. the behind the scenes, things we need to know, things we need to be uh, keeping in mind as we move forward. So I- I'd love you to tell us some of the tips you talk about in the book. The main thing that the book does, hopefully, is make everyone understand that they are a brand. And now your personal is your public. Mm-hmm. And there's no such thing as, you know, I have this personal life. If you touch a computer, you create a digital footprint that's permanent. And are you going to let someone else define what that footprint is or are you going to take control and define your own brand? And that's what the book is really about. How do you develop and create and cultivate a brand that projects your authentic self? And that is really what the book is about fundamentally. Uh, The other stuff, TV, media, all of that's I'll call extra because you never even get to any of that if Mm -hmm. you're not effective in developing your brand. So I wrote the book because I had so many people asking me. I spent two years on television talking about police brutality cases and African-American men being shot by police Mm -hmm. and the racial tension uh, that exists in communities across this country. And I had people reaching out to me saying, I care about those issues. I want to jump into those conversations or this is happening in my own community and I don't know what to do. I I, I want to do something. And what I knew and what I had come to, to learn is that you may have a message, something you care about, but if you don't have a way to reach people and if people aren't going to be receptive of that message, it doesn't matter. So the book is, I was motivated to write it to help those activists, those, those, you know, people who wanted to change what was happening in this country around uh, policing and the killing and shooting of African-American men. I really want to give them, uh, help them find their voice and help them amplify their voice. Mm. And what would you say is the most effective tool to use in terms of media and branding? Figuring out how to 
bring your authentic self, uh, how do you do that? How do you mm -hmm. be authentically who you are in a way that resonates with other people? Because right. your authentic self, you're not going to be successful in any career unless, you know, you can connect with people that value your talent, your skills, your expertise. So how do you do that? How do you package yourself in a way uh, that you you feel good about, you know, that represents at core who you are, but there's a market for it? Because mm -hmm. I, I wrote, and I just want to say, I, this is my third book. I wrote a phenomenal second book, my second book. It's mm -hmm. a phenomenal book. Didn't sell. So you have the best book in the world. Wow. But it's... You know, if it doesn't sell, then nobody hears your message. I feel like a lot of the work that you're doing requires um, significant juggling. You run a law firm. You are on CNN. I saw you three times this week alone uh, talking about Stormy Daniels and all of the major issues of the Trump administration. How do you manage to do that? How do you do you do you take naps? Do you drink water? <laughs> How? Because I feel like that's so integral to doing this type of you're work. You're right. No, it's a great question. So I'm a runner. So I started mm -hmm. running about five years ago. So health is key. And I tell it, no matter what you do, spin, run, cycle, walk, whatever, your health is primary. If you don't have good health, you're not going to have anything else in your life because you, you won't be able to. So mm -hmm. uh, health is a... You'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> health is a big priority. And then you got to love what you do. Man, when you love what you do, it is not work. So yeah, I was on CNN at 5 o'clock in the morning. I was on CNN at 11 o'clock in the morning. And in between, I won't tell you, I mean, I did 1,200 things in between that. But mm -hmm. none of it feels like work for me because I love what I do. So I tell people whatever you do with your career, whether it's a law degree or a business degree or whatever, you better find something in life that ignites your soul, your passions, that makes you want to jump out of bed every morning and do it. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, it's going to all feel so overwhelming, so challenging, and you just won't be gratified. And it's not enough to say, I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor. You know, the world has changed. People mm -hmm. really don't care about those titles anymore. Uh, you see people, your generation have YouTube pages or YouTube, you know, uh, accounts, uh, mm -hmm. Instagram pages. Twitter, all of Five it. million followers, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't go to Harvard. They didn't go to Stanford. No. They didn't go to Yale. And they are connecting with millions and millions of people and delivering messages that they care about. Awesome. And so to just wrap everything up, what is the greatest piece of advice that you would give to someone who is thinking about going towards a non-traditional path with their law degree? Figure out a way to support yourself. Financially? Finan yes, money. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about money. Because <laughs> one thing in law school, there was always this People going to big firms who want to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And then there were people who were going into public interest law, and the thought was, I'm going into public interest law, and I don't like money, or, or somehow I'm above money, or I don't have to make a lot of money. You can't do anything, Cam. <laughs> I'm laughing. Cam. I'm laughing and crying. Cam. My bank account is crying primarily. Okay, because <laughs> money rules the roost. It, it just mm. is how I started a nonprofit, and... I can't help thousands of families with kids with autism without any money mm -hmm. right. because you can't run a business, even if it's a nonprofit business. At the end of the day, it's a business. So whatever you're going to do in your career, whether you consider it off the beaten path, you've got to support yourself. Because if you can't pay your basic bills and meet your basic necessities, you can't be a value to anyone. And so this notion that, you know, to do good, I don't need money is just it's it's a really uh 
it's it's wrong. It's it's wrongheaded, and you will end up frustrated. And I'm proud and glad to see you're going into uh, public interest law. I think it's great, but you got to make a living, right? And you just want to make sure that you can cover your basic necessities and you have some quality of life that you feel good about. I believe everybody needs like nine jobs. Right. So this notion where people get a job and that's all that they do, it's just particularly in urban cities, big cities. I know, Cam, you're going to a, maybe, you're in a Houston though, right? I'm from Houston. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, but you're going to New Orleans. New Orleans. Okay, mm-hmm. so I don't know what the cost of living there is, but if you live in L.A., New York, Chicago, San Francisco, you need a ton of money because just the rent, yeah. I mean, like an apartment could be $4,000, a car, inch. I mean, you may need like eight to $10,000 just out. And I'm not talking like some luxury lifestyle. I'm talking like basic cover your bills, you know, kind of lifestyle. So people have to think about how am I going to support myself? Well, my motto is to get paid to do things I would do for free. So I'm definitely going to take the advice, get my side hustles in order, and yes. start juggling. So. My motto is to make it rain. So we're going to yes. make it rain. Well, and I'm the book- sitting here with two <laughs> phenomenal rainmakers. And once again, the book is Make It Rain, How to Use the Media to Revolutionize Your Business and Brand. Write a review on Amazon and every other outlet that you write reviews on. I'm going to Ariva can be found at Ariva Martin on Twitter, right? Yes. Um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can go to my website, arivamartin.com. Uh, find my tour dates. I'm going to be on tour with this book through, like, August. Awesome. Going to some interesting places, meeting lots of interesting people, uh, connecting with the real people, and having great, authentic conversations like this one. Perfect. We appreciate it, and I'm sure that our listeners will as well. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.